Welcome, Grace Church. It is good to be back after 85 days. It's, can you imagine? It's been 85 days. It's been a long time to not be together. And we are back together. We are here to praise Jesus with all our hearts. And just like first hour uh, right now, it's, it's wonderful to see uh, your eyes, see your faces, uh, see your smiles, and not just text you or call you on the phone or see you on a Zoom, okay? So this is really good. And uh, welcome to all who are joining us at this service via live stream. We live stream the 9.45 a.m. service. Uh, we are here under a big tent. We have never done this on a Sunday morning before, so uh, thank you for being patient with all of our uh, learning curves. We all have one here on that. Uh, no matter where we are or um, how we gather, we are a Christ-centered community, uh, intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. This is who we are as a church, and we are here. We're glad that we can gather together on this beautiful day under this tent. It uh, gives us more air to breathe and what have you, but is, is, we're living in a weird time, I know. We're wearing masks, and we've got all sorts of protocols and you know all these chairs were cleaned between services uh these are the cleanest these chairs have ever been i'm sure even probably even when they got straight out of the box i'm sure they're cleaner now uh, than they ever ever been before so um and the other thing i can't i've never thought as a pastor i would need to be saying this but sign up for church next week who signs up for church we do now so uh, tomorrow morning, you can sign up for next week. It's just wildness all around. Um, offering for the next four weeks, there's these uh, little boxes on posts over there. Um, people give online, um, people mail stuff in, but you are a very generous and, uh, and giving congregation and continue to give as unto the Lord there. Um, as you exit today, we're gonna ask you to go that way as you go out. I got this right now. Oh wait. Last hour, you told me to go this way. We've changed it. Okay, you're going that way. Nobody told me. Hey, you know, who am I, right? I mean, come on. So, <laughs> so go this way on your way out during this service. The other people were more special. They got to go that way. Anyway, and um, there's a crew of volunteers that are going to come in and wash the chairs again. And so this is what we're doing, okay? So look, we need the gospel, we need the gospel a lot. We need the word of God. The gospel changes our hearts. Um, think about it. What God does in the gospel is supernatural. And we need to cling to Christ. Uh, the great thing is Christ clings to us. Almighty God clings to us in Christ. I'm going to be preaching today on who we are and why we gather. And then we're going to do this for three weeks. going to go into Hebrews Chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Then we'll dive right on back into Ecclesiastes in three weeks. But for these next three weeks, who we are and why we gather. And I, I'm just really excited to share this with you today. I think it's very apropos after being gone from each other for, for 85 days. I think it's good to think about who are we and why do we gather together as a church. But let me open up with Psalm 121, and I'm going to read Psalm 122, verse 1 as well. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. 
The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And then Psalm 122, verse one. By the way, these are psalms of ascent. They would sing these songs as they went up to Jerusalem to worship God. And here is Psalm 122, verse one. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this chance to gather. Lord, uh, we've had so many conflicting emotions and we have so many conflicting emotions now. But we acknowledge you as almighty. We praise you. We thank you for the privilege of gathering together to remember you and to open up your word. Um, By your grace and for your glory, we remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And thank you, Lord, that by your spirit, you use the word in our lives for your glory and our good. I pray, Lord, that you would save and sanctify as you see fit according to your gracious will. I pray that you would open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word today. It's our deep desire to honor you with all our hearts in this time of worship. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able and join us as we sing? Oh, man, we'll be fixed on. 
Please go ahead and stay standing and open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 19 through 25. Privilege of standing together to read the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of God, the only perfect part of our worship service. We're trusting the Spirit of God to use his word in our lives to change us, transform us. Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of God, and may he use it in our lives today. Please have a seat. I'm going to pray in a moment, but before I pray, I want to say a few things. And first, it is well with our souls because our sins went on Christ. Every Christian can say it is well with my soul because my sins went on Christ at the cross. Jesus is our hope, uh, but we bear the painful effects of sin every single day. And our hope is Jesus. So we go through the COVID-19 pandemic and it still seems to be going on and now we have pandemonium uh, that has broken out in our hearts, in our homes, in the streets and in the public squares of America and it dredges up a lot of emotion and it dredges up a, a lot of confusion. And I know that a lot of people will say, if you don't say certain words, I'll be upset. No matter what side of uh, the debate or the issues that you're on, I'm going to say what I'm going to say today, and you can, um, you can deal with that. Um, let me just say this, and this is um, Revelation 7, 9 and 10. I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. This is what it's going to be like. But the world is not like that yet. And we're living in very turbulent times and we need the truth of God's word to shape us, to drive in our hearts and our minds and our convictions uh, clearly, we're going to believe what the Bible says. Murder, racism, all injustice, those are heart issues first and foremost, right? Those are heart issues. The gospel addresses heart issues. The gospel changes the heart. Uh, as your elders, I just want to say, we affirm what the Bible teaches about 
mankind and about God. We affirm that God has created all persons in his image. It commands all people to be treated with dignity and respect, regardless of where you came from, where you live, what you look like. Uh, we grieve the death of George Floyd. We grieve the death of many others. We, we call for justice on behalf of those who have been treated unjustly, prescribed in our Constitution as Americans, prescribed through our judicial system. We affirm and we respect God's ordained agency of law enforcement. We honor those engaged in that noble profession. We affirm, the, as Americans, the First Amendment right to protest in a peaceful assembly. We denounce rioting and looting and arson as unacceptable activities. We affirm our commitment to the biblical truth that God cares deeply about every person and about the issues of justice and human dignity. And here's what followers of Jesus should do. Embrace what the Bible says. Uh, Isaiah 1, 16 and 17. Do no wrong, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed. And make sure that what you're doing is loving and kind and patient with all. Look, you, you put us all in this tent, and uh, the same is true for any gathering of people, and especially a gathering of Christians. There are different political views, there are different social views that you're holding, and you're probably holding them very strongly, and we don't all agree on all those issues. But we have to agree on the gospel, we have to agree on what the Bible says, and the gospel brings people together that wouldn't usually unite. You gotta grasp that. We need to hate what God hates. We need to hate all sin. We need to love what God loves. We need to love all righteousness. We need to uh, weep with what makes God weep and rejoice with what makes God rejoice. Uh, if you're a believer, you have a life that's been reoriented to the gospel. Now things are changed. Uh, you're a, the agenda of God has to drive you. What we need to do is do what Micah 6, 8 says. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Remember this, God is just. The just died for the unjust that he might bring us to God. So we acknowledge uh, sin is running rampant first in our hearts and throughout the world. We, we trust deeply in the forgiveness that is in Christ. Uh, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That our sins do not condemn us because Jesus saves every believer. His truth sets you free. So listen to the wisdom of the word. Uh, listen to people. Uh, learn from people. Don't be closed-minded. Be honest. Be open. Be transparent. But be biblical and godly in how you choose to act. Uh, humble yourself. Confess your own sins. Don't confess somebody else's sins. I need to confess my sins. All right? So as we pray, let's go with that heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to expose any sin in your heart that needs to be confessed. I'm going to pray together on behalf of all of us, and we just want to pray adoring God, praising God, and confessing our sins, and uh, thanking God, and then bringing needs before him. So let's pray now. Lord, we acknowledge you as God Almighty. We want our minds and our hearts to be transformed by your word, not by our thoughts, not by our mind. We thank you and praise you for your goodness, for your greatness, for your, for your love, for your mercy, for your kindness. These mean something. You're sovereign, you're, you're just, you're right, you're true, you're fair, you're good, you're kind. Uh, we confess our sins. Lord, we are sinful people. Thank you, Lord, that there is forgiveness in Christ, that we can confess our sins to you and receive cleansing and forgiveness. 
We, we thank you that you're in control of all things. We aren't. Lord, it, wherever we're out of control, in our minds, in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, Lord, bring us under the power of your spirit through your word. Lord, you're the God of all comfort. Pray that you'd comfort every person in this nation and around the world, that you would open hearts to the gospel. We pray, Lord, for our leaders, our politicians, media, law enforcement, firefighters, the general population, everyone, that we would choose to honor you, that we would choose to do what is good and right and true. We know we need your wisdom navigating life now. We are, we are messed up. We know our hearts are mired in sin. We know we are selfish and we are judgmental and we are hatred and we are biased and we are prejudiced. And, and I pray, Lord, you'd crush our pride. That's what I pray, Lord, that you would crush our pride. That's what the gospel does. It humbles prideful hearts. Thank you, Lord, that one day you will make every wrong right. Thank you, Lord, that um, we have the ability as believers who believe your word to see and feel everything through the filter of your truth. I pray that we would be angered by what angers you. I pray that we would rejoice in what brings you joy. I pray that our attitudes and our actions and our emotions even would be governed by submission to you and to your word. That you would be honored. Lord, you are the God of hope who fills us with all joy and hope in believing as we trust you, that we would overflow by power, your power in the Holy Spirit. So we, we, we lay all this before you. We thank you that you are sovereign. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Darkness knew every more of sins that are many.
mercy is more stronger than darkness new every morn our sins they are many his mercy is more heavenly father thank you that we can sing this song and and sing this truth to ourselves to one another and to you that your mercy is greater than all our sins. Father, we thank you and praise you for that mercy, and we hope and pray that as we look at your word now, that we would see that mercy more clearly. God, that we would know your mercy and your kindness. Mm -hmm. And because of it, God, that we would love you with everything that we are. We ask this, we pray this by the blood, and then in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles up to Hebrews chapter 10, and that's where we're going to be today, but also the next two weeks after that as well. And we're looking at these two questions, who are we and why do we gather? Who are we and why do we gather? 85 days. It's a long time not to meet. Many of you thought about it. I know, I spoke with a lot of you about it. There's a lot of pain in not being able to gather together with fellow believers. And so the next three Sundays, we're focused on who are we and why do we gather? Uh, we're going to see the true identity and the, 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 the keen, sharp, realistic purpose of the church. The answer is biblical. If you're taking notes, here's the answer. Who, who are we and why do we gather? We belong to Christ to worship Christ. We belong to Christ to worship Christ. Who we are is that we belong to Christ. We're his sheep, we're his bride, we're his body, we're his family, we're his temple, we're his adopted family. Every believer is part of the universal body of Christ and every believer is to be a part of a local church. Why do we gather? To worship Christ. We belong to Christ to worship Christ. We, we worship Christ as a united body. We're gonna look at our unity next week. We're in Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, and when you think about who we are belonging to Christ, verses 19 to 21 addresses that. There are two since we have statements. If you look in your Bible, you'll notice that they're indicatives. It's what God has done. So two statements about what God has done that makes us who we are. But then you get to why we gather, and that's in verses 22 to 25, we gather to worship Christ. So there's three let us phrases, three imperatives based on the indicatives. It's basically what we are to do, what Christians are to do. So when you look at who we are, that we belong to Christ, and you look at verses 19 to 21, look at verse 19. Put your eyes first on verse 19, the very first word in that verse. What is it? Therefore, right? It, he's going to sum up all of Hebrews chapters 1 through 10. And if I could sum up all of chapters 1 through 10 with two words, it would be Christ's superiority. Christ's superiority. So chapters 1 through 10 of Hebrews is, is just making the case, Jesus is better than all. Christ's superiority. So he says, therefore, brothers, and then since we have confidence to enter the holy places, by the blood of Jesus. Look at that phrase, by the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, by a new and living way that he 
opened for us. So Jesus, by his blood, opened a way for us, and it says through his flesh. He died on the cross bodily, he was buried bodily, he rose from the grave bodily, and he is coming back bodily. And it says in verse 21, since we have, another since we have phrase, we have a great priest over the house of God. That's Jesus. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Now these verses are rooted in the Old Testament. The bold assurance to to enter the inner sanctuary did not exist under the Old Covenant. You had the Holy of Holies. You couldn't go in there or you would die. In the Old Covenant, no one could enter but the priest once a year, heavily clothed, to offer sacrifices on behalf of the sins of the people. But it says that Jesus opened up a new and living way. Those two phrases, those two words are very significant. New basically means freshly slaughtered for us. So if you go to the butcher shop and you say, this is some, some lamb that was just slaughtered, you know, why don't you take that home and cook it up? It's freshly, freshly butchered. Well, this is the idea. The newness is that Jesus was freshly slaughtered for us, killed in our place. And then it says it was a new way, a living way, right? It means it never existed before. It wasn't possible before, and it lasts forever. It's eternal. It will never be obsolete. So what you find is in Christ, through faith in Christ, you can do what couldn't be done before, have access to God. It's all rooted in God's covenant promises to his people. So now a Christian can have fellowship with God the Father, through God the Son, by God's indwelling spirit. And what does that do? That answers the chaos of sin. That answers the world chaos that we are all in. Everyone wants to blame everyone else for something. We're doing it all day long. I'll tell you a story next week about where I blamed someone for something and I shouldn't have. But we'll talk about it next week, not today. I want you to think better of me today. No. Um, Look, someone said recently, if you're going to believe everything you read, start reading your Bible. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, those who know their Bible well should not be surprised at the condition of the world. God rules over all. He sets the rules. He's given us his written word. He's the potter. We're the clay. God has pierced the darkness, right? He's pierced the darkness with the light of his word. There's this sin-coded, sin-infected world, and God has pierced that darkness of this sin-coded world with the light of biblical truth. He's given us his written word. He has revealed himself in it. And the written word of God tells us, just like Francis Schaeffer said, God is there and he is not silent. The Bible says we're to blame and that Jesus is the only answer. We're to blame, and, and Jesus is the only answer. The Bible's about Jesus Christ. So all the chaotic sins, murder and racism and rioting and lust and gossip and, and more are all heart issues first. The gospel starts by changing your heart. And by the way, as the gospel changes your heart, and then you teach it in your home, and your kids come to faith in Christ, and then it goes out of your home into your neighborhood, and really to the ends of the earth, the gospel spreads like wildfire. 
that the gospel of the grace of God in Christ, that our substitute on the cross took our place, died in our place, paid sin's penalty. He was buried. He rose on the third day. He appeared to many. He ascended to the Father. He is praying for us now, and he is going to return with judgment on his enemies and blessing for his chosen ones. But what will you do with Jesus? I can't assume that you're all believers. I'm not going to assume you're all believers. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you belong to him, or you reject him and you're condemned. You know, we all like to quote John 3.16. Why don't you go into John 3.17 and 18 and 19? The one who does not believe in him is condemned already because you didn't believe in the only son of God. And if you have believed in him, your life is going to change. Your attitudes are going to change. Your life's going to get reoriented around the gospel truth. Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. I will tell you with confidence, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. And what these verses, these, these opening verses of this passage tell us is that the church those who are saved by Jesus, that, that, great, that great priest over the house of God, Jesus, the great priest over the house of God, saves his church. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, and we belong to him. We belong to him. We are his adopted children. But then you ask the question, why do we gather then? Why do we gather? It's to worship Christ. Verses 22 to 25, and we're going to look at one, one primary verse today, okay? We have two other weeks to look at other things, but the idea is Again, Hebrews chapters 1 through 10 sum up this idea of Christ's superiority. Uh, verses 19 to 21 encapsulates it. And then in verses 22 to 25, the unnamed author of Hebrews says, now live by this. Live by this truth. Now it's interesting, the people that he wrote to, some of them, chapter 2 tells us, were in danger of drifting away from the gospel. Some were in danger of drifting away. Some in chapter four were spoken of as, as being in danger of not entering God's rest, code word for salvation, of in danger of not being saved, saying they're saved but not being saved. And then in chapter five, there are people who have become dull of hearing and they're ignorant of the word of God. And then in chapter six, he's saying you should be mature. But, but you're not growing in the faith. So the idea here is that you need to live by biblical truth. You need to let the word of God change you. Yield to the word of God, the, the spirit of God using the word of God in your life. And so what you have is three let us phrases. Not lettuce in your garden, okay? Not lettuce in your salad, but let us. There's three phrases here, and they're imperatives based on the indicatives. So they're what we are to do based on what God has done. And these are things that you're to practice regularly as part of a Christian assembly. Look at verse 22. And we'll look at verses 22 and 23 next week, but let us draw near. And then verse 23, let us hold fast. But I want to focus you really on verses 24 and 25, and then we'll kind of zero in on verse 25 as, as we go on, okay? But verse 24 says this, let us consider. That means you're going to think really deeply with your mind. Think, concentrate your mind upon this. Try to figure out a way to do three connected things. Stir up one another to love and good deeds. That's the first. Secondly, not neglect meeting together. 
And third, encouraging one another as you see the day of Christ uh, coming our way, drawing near. So I want you to focus on verse uh, 24, uh, where it says, let us consider to stir up, gather, and encourage. But I want you to focus on the second thing there, gathering. Okay, we'll take the others next week when we talk about our unity. But verse 25 says, not neglecting. Okay, not neglecting to meet together. Now, I don't know anyone from Grace Church of Orange that was trying to neglect to meet together for 85 days. We couldn't. We wanted to be respectful and obey governing authorities and have all sorts of opinions about that, but we didn't meet. But nobody was saying, you know, I'm going to forsake the assembly. No, it wasn't that. There was more of, I really want to be together with the people of God. And I'm so glad that's what your desire was. But it says, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. Some in that day were doing that. Some do it now. You notice it says, meet together. It's from the word for synagogue, the gathering. Now, church, that word is not in this, but it's a parallel word that's throughout the New Testament. Church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, okay, a gathering. I'm preaching through Ecclesiastes right now. Ecclesiastes literally means the gathering that Solomon was preaching to. The idea behind these words and even the metaphors of adopted family and bride and uh, sheep and body, uh, what it's pointing to is you do what's, what's being commanded as a group. Okay? You do it as a group. It's a group project. Now, a lot of us hate group projects. If you were like the type A, you're like, but I did all the work, you know? I hope there's no one here that in the group project, you were the one that were like, everyone else will do my work for me. Don't be that person, right? But it's a group project. Here's what the project is. We're gonna echo back to Jesus, his glory. And then we're gonna say to one another, behold the Lamb of God. Behold your God. Look how great he is. So we're gonna say to Jesus, you're so awesome, together. And we're gonna remind each other how awesome Jesus is. That's the group project for the gathered church. It's the heart of who we are and why we gather. We belong to Christ to worship Christ together. This is why you are aching to be with the people of God. Think about it. Before you got saved, you just sinned all the time. You got saved. Now you have the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you're thinking, shouldn't have done that. But here's what else happens. When you get saved, you want to be with the people of God. What's the first thing a brand new Christian wants to do? Gather together with fellow Christians. Hear the word of God. Talk about following Jesus. You notice that it says not neglecting. Look at those words, not neglecting. Now, you could say, well, I, I forgot. I neglected. I slept in late. You know, all this kind of stuff. And that's not a very strong word. You know, oh, just don't neglect. But this, this word from the Bible is a very strong word. It's forsake. Don't forsake the assembly. Now that's much stronger than, oh, I just kind of forgot. This is where you leave them behind. This is where you desert them. And I don't mean eat dessert, kids, sorry. I just got you hungry. There's some fruit snacks out there in the bags if any of your parents want a snack. Um, where you desert, where you leave them behind, where you abandon someone out in the desert. When I was a kid, I couldn't, I couldn't spell desert or dessert. I was like, which one has two S's? I don't remember. 
But this is the idea, not neglecting. Don't forsake. Here's the idea behind it. Don't selfishly, willfully, and persistently leave the church in the lurch. Poem right there. Don't leave the church in the lurch. Don't do it. Don't leave your brothers and sisters in Christ to fend for themselves. And the idea behind it is if you are forsaking the assembly, you're like, I don't really care about you and I don't want to be with you. This is the idea. And it says that this was the habit of some. There were people persistently and willfully leaving others in the lurch, leaving them behind, deserting them, abandoning the church, and it was to their shame and the weakening of their life and the church. Now, this is the idea of rejection. Next week, we'll look at this idea. The opposite of forsake is encourage, where you come alongside and you be a help to someone in person. It's the idea of coming alongside, right there with them. All right, we've been texting and Zooming and all these things. Those are sorry substitutes for seeing your faces, seeing your eyes, seeing your smiles. I'm serious. It's like first hour, I was like overtaken with emotion. Second hour, I'm like, good to see you, you know. Uh, I'm not crying now, you know. Uh, no, seriously though, I look at you and I'm like, yes, I remember you. I haven't seen you for 85 days, but I know you. Now, if I was going to go preach to a, a group of people I've never met, not feeling that emotion, but there's people I know and love, and I, I've buried your family members, and I've been there through a lot of things with a lot of you, so, wow, yeah, I, I look you in the eye, and I'm like, okay, I don't want to forsake this group. I don't want to leave them in a lurch. The key, by the way, you want to know how you are to not forsake the assembly? What's the key? Like, it's not just, you know, willpower, okay? There's actually a biblical model here. The key to not forsaking is to realize that we, as the body of Christ, are not forsaken. Same word is used in Hebrews 13.5. Jesus says, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So it's being quoted from the Old Testament and basically saying the Lord has said, like Jesus <laughs> saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. Interesting. It's from Deuteronomy 31 verse six. Moses is saying to all Israel, be strong, be courageous. You got all these enemies, but don't be afraid. Don't tremble at them for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He's not leaving you in the lurch. He's going to rescue. He is with you. Now that is repeated in 31.8, to Joshua. Same words to Joshua in Joshua 1.5, except God is now saying the words. Just as I have been through Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. This is assurance from God. This is Jesus saying in Matthew 28.20, I am with you always. This is Emmanuel, God with us. This is Jesus in John 14.18 saying, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will never abandon you. So you gotta see the truth. We are, Christians are unforsaken. The church is unforsaken. No matter what it looks like, we're unforsaken. We belong to Christ to worship Christ. And so because you're unforsaken, do not forsake your family in Christ. Now next week we're gonna look at how we are undivided, how we are united in Christ and fighting for unity. Let me help you grasp this idea of not being forsaken. 
It's like Ephesians 4.32. It says, forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. It's the idea of don't forsake the assembly just like God doesn't forsake you. God doesn't forsake his own. We're we're unforsaken, and so don't forsake your family. God doesn't leave us. He stays with us. So we are an unforsaken family gathered to worship Christ. I mean, God has been teaching us for 85 days how important our gathering is through us not meeting. I mean, people will ask you for to gather for all sorts of causes, especially right now. There's a lot of causes going on, right? People will ask you to gather. You know, do whatever you want. Uh, Love Jesus and do as you please. Do what is right. People ask us to gather for their cause, but here is God who has sovereignly allowed us not to meet. Not for us to complain, but so we would remember that we are compelled to meet and to gather for his cause, not for our agenda. How do you learn from this? Well, just keep showing up. Keep showing up. Your presence speaks volumes. Let me say something to the men that are gathered. Men, your household learns from your lead. This is your regular chance to lead. This is a regular reminder to read God's word at home and pray with your family at home too. All of us, we need to come to to listen and learn and love and not push our agendas. We need to pray for Jesus to work in our hearts. I mean, think about all the different causes you can gather for. You celebrate, you lament, you even protest. But, But this gathering? This, this, this gathering of those gathered by Christ? This is our best. This is our, our best gathering. For those who belong to Christ to come together, to worship Christ together, it, it's our highest privilege on earth. Like, like, like this is good. God has gathered us and we need to gather. We we must migrate together every week. You might might ask me, why do you always go to Fallbrook on holidays? Why do you fly or drive to Tennessee for the last 29 years? Angela and I have been married for 29 years, just June 1st. Why do I go to Tennessee? Because that's where our family is. Why do I go to Fallbrook? Because that's where our family is. You go to be with your family. I mean, think about it. You go through so much in life. You are tempted by so much sin. You get soiled so much by the world. You need to gather with your family in Christ. And you don't like some of them. And some of them annoy you. Deal with it. They're dealing with you. Now, there are a lot of people that will say, oh, you Christians, you gather together. You are so fake. You're a bunch of hypocrites. I don't want to go to church because it's filled with hypocrites. Yeah, you show up. There'll be one more. (laughs) So some people will claim you're being fake because you gather 
and you get all dressed up and you look good and you act kind, but we know what you're really like at work. We know what you're really like as a neighbor. We know what you're really like as a husband or wife or brother or sister or son or daughter. You're fakes. You're a bunch of hypocrites. Let me give you another perspective. Let me help you have another perspective, a biblical perspective. What are we doing here? We are yearning. We are yearning for, for what God is making us to be. We're, we're, we're practicing. We're, we're told to imitate Christ. We, we, we are acting like we want to be. Like this is our, our, the best version of ourself in a sense. We gather weekly on our best behavior to practice. It's what we like to be. It's a shadow of what we will be like for eternity. I mean, your family may well tell you, hey, you're kinder at church than at home. My family's told me that before. You know, you treat everyone else nice at church, but when you talk to us, you're not so kind. Of course, we all desire consistency, but we want to be the best version of ourselves in Christ. I mean, think about it. Just imagine with me for a moment. You, you get to heaven, and you see your spouse, your son or daughter. You see your, some of your best friends, and, and you knew them really well on earth. You, you went through stuff with them. You saw their worst and their best. And, what, and I got this idea from Tim Keller in his book, uh, The Meaning of Marriage, that you'll see that loved one and you're gonna say, wow, look at you. I always knew that you could be like this. I, I saw you through the pain. I saw you through the depravity. I saw you through even deception. I saw you through misery. God was making you what you are now. This is how I knew you could be. When you get to heaven, do you realize you will not be worried about all the things you're so messed up about inside right now? God gathers his people and saves them and we're to gather regularly to practice for heaven and to worship Christ who is preparing us to see him on that day. The pattern, by the way, comes from the Old Testament. This pattern, you know, I know Hebrews 10, 25 tells me not to neglect the assembly, but where do you get it? Well, God told Moses in Deuteronomy 4, 10, assemble the people. In fact, he said, assemble the people to hear the word of God. Assemble the people to hear my word. Our worship is like the people gathering with Moses at Sinai to hear the word of God. And here we are, we're living in a world that is broken. It's like shattered glass. There's shards everywhere. We're bleeding. Other people are stepping in it. And it's leaving us hurt and, and heartbroken, right? We feel the pain of a world not right. We want peace. We want to help. People even wonder, the people will say, hey, is it really worth it for you to prepare a sermon and preach it in a local church? Well, Isaiah 55 tells me the word of God will not return void without accomplishing what he desires for it to accomplish. 
First Peter 1.23 tells me we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Sinai was the pattern for the assembly. You know, three more times in Deuteronomy, uh, he re- refers back to the day of the assembly when God said, assemble the people before me to hear my word. Something happens when we assemble. And it's not just feeling good. It's not just seeing friends. Preaching happens. Singing happens. Praying happens. Preaching happens like Koheleth, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, the one who speaks to the assembly. Preaching and the assembly are inseparable in scripture. Colossians 3, 16, you know what it says? Sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's based on the word of God dwelling in us richly and pouring forth in songs that are based on the word of God and praying in ways that align with the word of God. So Israel was defined by the assembly and the word of God. Stephen called it the church in the wilderness, Acts 7, 38. So Israel's not this collection of individuals that sometime got together. They were an assembly whose members were sometimes dispersed or separated for a time, just like us for 85 days. And those of you that are watching, those of you that can't come because of health, we miss you. I love the fact that Ed and Carla Trenner are with us right now in the back of the room over there. Uh, on, on a, their faces are on a stick. They put, by the way, they put that there uh, 85 days ago and uh, put those in the worship center. I've been preaching to Ed and Carla Trenner for the last, you know, 12 weeks or what have you, and I, I love them. Uh, they're better in person, but the picture will do for now. But you step back and you look at the assembly the scattering, the gathering. You know what that shows? Shows you the wide angle lens scope of judgment and salvation. Sin leads to scattering. God promises to gather and reassemble the world. That's his covenant promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. Isaac retold it to Jacob in, Gen- in, in Genesis 28. Uh, you think of the, the gathering in Nehemiah chapter eight at the end of the exile. They're gathered to hear the word of God. The last day's vision of Isaiah 2 and Micah chapter 4, exactly the same. That the nations will go and say, let us go to the house of the Lord so that he may teach us his ways. You get the promised gathering begins to get fulfilled when the assembly moves from Sinai to Zion. Because it's fulfilled in Christ. If you look in Hebrews 12, verse 18, it says, we don't come to Mount Sinai, that place of terror and distance and forbidden access. Hebrews 12, 22 says, we have come to Mount Zion. That's Jerusalem, where the blood was shed. Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, the substitutionary sacrifice, once for all, the just for the unjust to bring us to God. So we assemble to hear the word of God. Hebrews 12, 25 says, do not refuse him who speaks. God himself, through the word, We rejoice in the presence of God. All of our assemblies point to the assembly that will happen on another day. The assembly in the new creation. This is the the Revelation 7 verse 9 assembly. The great multitude that no one can count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne in front of the Lamb, and they're praising the glories of his grace. And we gather today 
June 7th, 2020. We preach the word of grace because the gospel gathers and keeps unlikely people together. The gospel unites, sin divides. And what does God do? He builds his church by humbling our hearts towards him and towards one another. We hear the word of God together and the spirit of God changes us. And guess what? You might be shocked to hear this. But God is using our gatherings, even even this small gathering, to remake the world. As irrelevant as people say it is, as out of touch as people say it is, the word of God brought to bear in, in, in this gathering is what God is going to use to to restore his people and a broken world. The world will be reached by the church. They will see forgiveness and forbearance and love and patience. Next week we'll talk about how we're an undivided family in Christ. But we are. We are God's people. His unforsaken family. And one day, God is going to do through the church what the world has failed to do. He's going to bring all nations together and he's going to rebuild a broken world. And until then, we're going to keep on meeting and preaching the eternal word of God. And one day, God is going to set everything straight. And it's going to be good on that day. We're going to have to go through the pain until we get there. And God will not forsake us. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can assemble to worship you, to preach your word, to to want to make disciples of all nations. Lord, imperfect as we are, we are in a breaking world. Marriages are breaking. Families are breaking. Nations are breaking. Races are breaking. Classes are racing. Cultures are breaking. At every level, the world is fragmented. It's not put back together yet. But thank you, Lord, that the church alongside the disintegration that the church is being supernaturally changed by your spirit through your word. All for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we close our service? And there's plenty of space on the grass if anyone would be more comfortable spreading out there.
we gather we belong to Christ to worship Christ we're unforsaken therefore we don't forsake our family next week we'll address how we are undivided and united in Christ fighting for unity and um, next Sunday we'll have communion together we got these little packets where you don't have to touch anybody you know it's all set up for you already okay um, let me close with this and then I'll pray first Corinthians 15 58 therefore my beloved brothers sisters Everybody, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Lord, thank you that we can gather today. Thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for life. Thank you for eternal life. Use us for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, please go that way as you exit. God bless you all. And... Um, I wish we could hang out longer, but you'll need to go quickly so we can clean those chairs and make them even cleaner than before. All right, God bless. Have a great week.
Yeah.